0: Welcome everyone to the Yoga Liberty podcast. I am super excited today to be joined by a special guest Arjuna O'Neill. He's going to be talking today about his origin story, how he became a yoga teacher, where he came from and what he's doing now. I'm absolutely thrilled to have him on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming and joining us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me as a guest. I look forward to this conversation.
0: I appreciate you. So let's get started right away without any wait. What were you doing before you became a yoga teacher? What was your life like?
1: <laughs> what wasn't I doing That's the question. Um, <laughs> interesting, you know, I, I was raised in the Hare Krishna faith um, as an as inner city child from the east side of Detroit. Um, my father introduced the practice to my mother Somehow he had found uh, the guru that came from India uh, who was speaking at the university where he met and decided to join, introduced my mother, who was a Christian at the time, and then they had me. Um, But at the time, my mother didn't know that my father was actually a part of one of the largest uh, drug um, rings or cartels in the city at the time. So I was raised uh, in a spiritual practice that was well-known to be one of the, I guess they would say they considered the Vedic text to be one of the highest levels of spiritual knowledge. Um, And then also simultaneously raised to be, you know, a a street entrepreneur, drug dealer. So um, the majority of my life, that's what I did. Temple life, spiritual life. And then uh, in the evenings, I worked with my father
0: I love how you call that a street entrepreneur. That's a, a creative way of, of, you know, um, a lot of people talk about a lot of like lifestyle gurus or life change gurus talk about changing the wording that we use for different Mm -hmm. things in order to give it different meaning in our life. Um, so that's really interesting. Also my partner is from Detroit. So that's, um, no, i'm i'm not from detroit though so yeah. i'm from yeah. ohio uh and, you
1: know, neighbors um,
0: yeah you know, out in they wouldn't say that michigan michiganders are always talking about us but
2: <laughs>
0: but uh i've been out yeah. in vegas for like 25 years so okay. you're you're working with your with your father and you're also a hari krishna um yeah. and um so what is it that kind of shifted for you? What What were you like, well, this is not really working for me
1: anymore? Well, it's interesting because it, growing up in the Hare Christian movement, you know, I experienced, that's where I experienced a lot of the trauma, a, a lot of sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse. Really? Uh, yeah, a lot of things have happened. There. And there's a lot of information online in terms of, uh, they called it a cult. Um, there's books about some of the things that were happening. There's allegation stories. Um, that a lot of us experienced back in the 80s uh, around that time.
0: Was that really like a a thing that was very localized to the uh, group of people that were running the Krishna temple in Detroit? Or is that like a widespread thing that was going on throughout all of America?
1: It was happening throughout the, particularly throughout the whole Hare Krishna movement, which is they just, this specific, branch of it, 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 they call it ISKCON. So ISKCON, the International Society of Hare krishna And it was something that was happening globally, but at the time they only had a few temples in America, so it wasn't across the nation yet, but it, but all the temples that were existing, there was some form of abuse, sexual abuse
2: It's wow. based on... Uh,
1: yeah, and, and you know, we, we hear this as you do these podcasts and you hear stories people share in different groups and spiritual yeah. or religious groups, we'll say. Catholicism
0: um, is, has a real problem with
2: that.
1: It's 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 all over the world. It's there. So, yeah. you know, um, but that, those experiences, uh, a reason why I brought them up is because those experiences really uh, shaped the way I saw the work that I did with my father. Mm-hmm. Didn't get to see him a lot growing up. Uh, because we moved away from Detroit, we moved out into the the sticks, uh, West Virginia, uh, one of the where a lot of the big stories happened in terms of the abuse and all of the craziness that was going on in the Iskon movement. And so, you know, we finally left a couple of years after being there. When we came back, we came back to Detroit, where I re reunited with my father, and really just wanted to be with him, around him. And that's when I got a lot of the hands-on experience something in my soul, just knowing who I was. I, I knew that what I was living back home in Detroit wasn't who I was supposed to be. I didn't know how to explain it as a child. And I was always upset, emotionally um, torn, traumatized, crying, all the different things as a young man, as a young boy. Uh, and then you said, hmm, what was that 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 moment that I knew? Well, there was a lot of moments, even though I had those it, just based on the circumstances, the age, there was a lot of things I I didn't have any power to really do much. And mm-hmm. then at one point, mm-hmm. I had an experience at nineteen where I was uh, shot in the femoral artery where I bled to death. I made the news, and I I had a lot of other traum- traumatic experiences, but this specific one is the one that shaped me because seeing yourself leaving a crime scene on a gurney and realizing that you died and come back it was hard to it was hard to no longer accept that things had to change and that regardless mm. of regardless of what i didn't know or didn't understand or whatever my financial situation was i knew that regardless to all those barriers that i had to do something
0: and this was your girlfriend at the time right that shot you and then you had a near death experience
2: yes yeah
0: wow yes. So, what was that like? I always, I read a lot about it, but, you know, never, I've never gone through one. What, what did it feel like?
1: <laughs> what did it feel like? Well, it's one of those feelings. I hope nobody has to experience. Um, You, you, you know, it was interesting. Uh, now looking back, it, it was a blessing. A gift, what's that saying? A gift and a curse. At
2: yeah. The same time. Gift
0: in disguise. Um,
1: you know, I, I don't recommend anybody putting themselves in a position to be literally, you know, where they have to face death or almost die to realize how blessed they are regardless of what your circumstance is. Because when you're dying, you realize regardless of how tough life may be, that <laughs> that choice uh, uh, to go through the trials and tribulations is far, far more of an experience that you would rather have than dying. Um, but you know, I, it, it's hard to explain it because I know there's so many different stories, but my experience of dying was interesting because a lot of people hear the story and they're like, wow, dude, that's amazing or that's powerful or you have such a beautiful story. But the way I thought for many years was different because when I was dying, I had the conversation with God and in that conversation, you know, God basically told me, you have two choices here. You know, Arjuna, you can deal with this the way the streets or the way you would normally, the way this looks to society from your upbringing, or we can do this my way. You can forgive and find compassion and forgiveness for yourself or forgive her in this moment. And of course, I was like, well, God, you know, this is that's a tall order. Right. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. uh, I'm like, uh, I mean she didn't shoot me you know and, and yeah but at the time too it was interesting because I was laughing and I was like well I mean everything I've done up to up to this point has been my way and obviously my way if I'm laying here having a near-death experience if I'm talking to you I said obviously I didn't do things right so I was like okay cool we'll, we'll try your way like lord I'm gonna surrender so I I was able to find the forgiveness in that moment. And after that, you know, God was like, hey, I also have another assignment. But I remember having the conversation with God asking, hey, can I just stay here? It feels so beautiful. Like, I just went from the most excruciating pain, burning, like, and now it just feels like nirvana, you know, The the love, the 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 peace, the I felt held in a way that it's hard to explain. Um, And so I was like, "Hey, God, you know, I don't mind staying, but you're just gonna have to explain to my mother what happened in a way that she doesn't feel devastated and heartbroken." And God was like, "Oh no, it doesn't work like that. We don't, you know, you don't get to come back that in this way. Um, But I have a different assignment, and." so for me, I I looked at it as, oh, I got rejected. You know, oh. I didn't see it the way everybody else saw it. I was like, God was like, no, 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 you got work to do. You got to go back.
2: Right, you, know, you hear stories. Right.
1: You hear some stories about of people that go and they're like, they transition and they go on. It's like, oh, they're with God now. So they're they're in the heavens. I'm like, well, I'm back on the east side, <laughs>
2: <laughs> Detroit.
1: Oh. right. So, right. You know, yeah. i um,
0: there. It's intense down there.
1: Yeah, so, you know, um, but it was very clear that what I do now, God had told me almost 22 years ago that this was going to be my mission, using my voice, using my story, using my experiences to help all people, especially people that look like me and where I come from, but just humans in general,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that, that when we can connect to our hearts, you know, everything that we're looking for is inside our hearts, you know, the connection, you know, God was like, and the connection to me, to be able to connect, to talk to me, just happen to your heart.
0: I'm curious because you were raised in the Hare Christian movement and your name is Arjuna the, yeah. the from the Bhagavad Gita yes. when you met god what what was god what was god was god <laughs> hindu was god christian was god none of those things what was it like
1: it was and so people ask me that all the time there was never a faith it was it was more of like a faith a knowing it was a being it was the experience it didn't have a location you know it it was like i was just in this all knowing you know sometimes the way they describe krishna in the bhagavad gita is what it felt like all knowing almighty all powerful all loving uh, it was just everything was at like the love that i felt the concern the care the, like it was this at a, a level that you can't even use you know, from from human words, because it's not the same. So I don't really have a way to give you a, like a visual. Right, right. Because it, it, it's not, it, it's nothing like being here on planet Earth in this material form. I'll say that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, you know, sense.
0: yeah. I have always kind of, when I first started to learn the concepts of God and um, my adoptive family was very Christian. Um, and they like Catholic, I went to Catholic schools and, um, I remember thinking at the time, like, this doesn't make any sense to me because there are people from all over the world in different places and maybe they don't know about Jesus. They're going to go to hell. And the, the, the priest would say, yep, that's, what's going to happen. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Like I've read the (laughs) Bible and I don't think that Jesus is like that. And so I've always felt like. And this is just my, my, the way I felt like, I always felt like there's only really one God and we're all calling it different names.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you bring that up because I used to talk about that at the temple to some of uh, the kids that I grew up with. We would have these little debates about just God in general. And I was like, well, in some parts of the world, you know, people are asleep. In some parts of the world, we're awake. So like what you were saying, how can... You know, we, we punish or how can people be punished for different parts of the world? There's different things that are happening. There's different practices, different things. And I believe that God just, in my opinion, from my experience, that there's different ways to reach God based on your environment, where you come from, your upbringing, what where you are in that part of the world. And some parts of the world don't even have like, you know, like think about the desert. You know, when I think about Saudi Arabia or some of those places. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's land, but then there's also places that just don't come with the same setup. Right. That other places have, and they're taught that this is how you tap into God or that higher calling, that whatever you want to call it, that universal knowing. But it can be completely different on this side of the globe. So like what you were saying, like, how, how does one be faulted for that? You know, just based on where they were oh. born
0: right right you can't I when I traveled in India I remember um we always stay at guest houses because we want to mm-hmm. like really get to know the local people and so we were staying with a guy and he was saying what a beautiful day it is today like how beautiful the sun is and I looked out and it was just like you could barely see anything the smog was it like a 400 um like whatever they call it. I can't remember what they call it right now. Like the index was like 400 and you could barely see anything. And I was like, wow, these people have never seen a blue sky Yeah, and they will never see a blue sky in their whole life. And so that perception of what we think, you know, and everything's like that. Everything's like that. It's our perception of where we happen to land Mm -hmm. That gets us to think certain things, and the more I've traveled around the world, the more my perception of what is reality and how what is suffering really changes. You know,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Actually, that makes me. I think it it brings up a good point because in that, you know, one of the pieces that the conversation I had when I was dying. Well, I'll say instead of saying dying, bleeding out, because that's what was happening. Um, But as I was bleeding out, because the femoral artery had been severed by the bullet. But one of the the pieces to that conversation, God was saying, the gift that you will have from this is the connection to the heart. Which, if you focus on the connection to the heart, it will allow you to talk, like you said, to reach anyone wherever they are, whatever their background is, whatever they believe, whatever they don't believe. Because everybody has a heart that's alive, you know, you're alive, mm-hmm. you, your heart right. is beating. And touch the heart. Because the mind is fickle, the mind will believe whatever the story is that you tell it. So <clears throat> that was really, that had been my focus so long, trying to learn how to master this, uh, this conversation with the heart.
0: Wow. What an intense way to, to do that. But maybe, you know, we all have a different karma right? So that was just like what you, what you had to go through in this lifetime to have that awakening and then help people. People always say to me like, Oh, I'm so sorry about your past and things that happened to you. I just had somebody on the podcast yesterday and it was saying that and I was like, I'm not sorry. I've helped thousands of women come out of abusive relationships and change their lives And go on and feel empowered. And I would have never done that if I hadn't have grown up in shelters or lived on the streets. And, you know, like I would have never been moved to do that or understood truly what that meant and what it was like. So
2: um,
0: while it's hard to go through all those things, it it truly is a blessing because now we can be of service to others. So you have this like massive change in Um, your mind and you meet God and you go through this experience and you come back to the planet to fulfill your Dharma. And um, where do you start? What happens?
1: Well, after being rushed to the hospital, uh, being resuscitated and all the different things, you know, uh, they coded, you know, I coded a few times, the body went through its, uh, its stages. One of the things that God told me, He said, "Remember this conversation because when you go to the hospital, you're going to go through all the process in the stages of of the human being, you know, hurt in this way that so basically dying and coming back and all the things." He said, "But please remember this conversation because they're going to tell you the exact opposite, you know." He's like medical science, all the things, and so <clears throat> I remember. Uh, coming out of surgery, about uh, 14 hours of surgery, you know, I had all these tubes. My body, I, I was huge because everything was damaged. I had internal bleeding, all these different things. Um, and it, but I was paralyzed for a year. I couldn't move my lower.
2: Oh, uh, wow.
1: Yeah, I couldn't walk because of where the bullet hit my severed the femoral artery in my. Uh, Right near my growing in my lower abdomen. So, what happened for me was, I spent a whole year just really reflecting, you know, re- really reflecting, studying, learning, just trying to even navigate the experience because I had I lost seventy five percent of the blood in my body, so they gave me uh, a, a massive blood transfusion, which now that's a whole nother person inside of me. Wow, so I,
0: that's exactly what I just thought, like, yeah, that you just had, like, was it from one person or from multiple people?
1: I, I you know, I never asked those questions, but I definitely knew I could feel the difference. I was like, whoa.
2: Wow. It,
1: you know, you see those movies, and it was trippy. It was literally like, wow, um, I'm somebody else in this body that I know the body, but I don't know this that's happening within me. Wow. So that was really interesting. Um, And so, learning who this new version of me was, not just being shot, but also, you know, having a full body of somebody else's blood. uh, (laughs) That was interesting, and I spent a lot of time just, just paying attention to life in a different way. Just looking at some of the things that I was striving for, that I got to see, you know, what didn't serve, what actually had no value. You know, I really started to see the way we as people, society, we put the things and dangle the little fruits over us and we go chasing after these things and material things and all the different things that just are insignificant, stood out differently, things that, you know, we see on commercials or just the American dream and the things that we're taught. And, you know, as children that we're supposed to strive for as we grow up and become adults, it all looks completely different and it all had a different meaning from having this experience, this near death experience and really understanding like the connection, purpose. And I was like, wow, here it is 19 years of living somebody else's version or perspective of life because of the things I've done and the things I experienced but I had never lived for myself. I'd never really done anything because of my past and the choices that I was making. I was in trouble, I was trying to prove something or try to get out of the system from being incarcerated. All these different things were happening. And so I just really realized like, wow, how do I how do, how do I turn all this into a message? I'm like, God told me I'm supposed to be able to help people with this story. But I'm like, wow, but so many people are really stuck in this story so many people are really attached to this this way of being, which is creating this internal suffering and bondage. And I was like, well, who am I to tell somebody?" that they got it all wrong,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: especially with the situation I just came out of and I'm not even able to walk yet. So it was like, let me just sit with it. Let me just sit with how this is supposed to play out. So I spent a year just really writing, journaling, looking at all of the stories and the experiences and just really trusting God that I would find a way to craft a way of being so that way my story, my way of being, who I be could be an inspiration, you know, or or encourage someone to either go this way or not do the things that I was doing or had done in the past.
0: Something I really hear you saying right now is that it wasn't a quick process. And oftentimes people will sign up for yoga teacher training and just that little label of, of doing that and think <laughs> like, I'm gonna come out and everything's gonna be different. And it yeah. doesn't actually work that way. The metamorphosis is long. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. Well, <laughs> definitely. I I know that story. Well, I'll just say that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and so so it, eventually, uh, over some time, I, I knew it was time to leave Detroit, but one part of the story is that when I was right before I got shot, I had my son. So I had a, I had a toddler, my first mm-hmm. son, who I named after me, Arjun, and that that was the real, like, like okay, you have a son, you experience this with your father. And, you know, you hear a lot of people say, I don't want to be like the parent or the abusive parent or the whatever. And, mm-hmm. But you find yourself sometimes not wanting to be like that, but then just want, not wanting to doesn't make it not happen. There's things that you have to do, change shift, And so I realized, even in saying I didn't want to, that I had already laid a foundation that was very similar to my father based on my life. So, you know, seeing my son, I knew I had to get out of Detroit. I, again, didn't know how, really, didn't know where to go.
0: And you had your son with the woman that shot you?
1: So I already had a son before.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. So you didn't have to continue a relationship with her because you were tied in that way. Okay. No. That that would have been very hard.
1: (laughs) Well, there's something very interesting and profound about that piece, if I do speak to it very quickly, because most people may not understand, and I want them to get a little picture here. When you hear this, there's so to- <clears throat> the forgiveness. I'm gonna tell you why this is so relevant and makes a lot of sense. From the outside looking at you are gonna be like, Wait, somebody shot you, and you had a kid with Well, we found out she was pregnant after the fact.
0: You did have a child with her.
1: So oh. She, well, she was she was pregnant. We didn't know. Oh. So she wow. did get it. so we found that out. Um and I was like, in that moment, when God asked me, Can you forgive? Me? Of course, the story that I had, the human side of me, it's like, there's no way. And, you know, just based on the lifestyle, the street code, and all the different things, you know, we see it in movies all the time. Somebody hurt, wrongs you this way, you, you retaliate with the same level or even an advanced level of pollution.
0: But God already knows that she's pregnant. Yeah.
1: Yeah, all, all of this. Right. Yeah. I didn't have that information until after the fact. But what happened was when, when God gave me the opportunity to forgive, I didn't realize what was really happening. See, sometimes, you know, we hear this, you have to be able to forgive people that do things to us, right? But what happened for me was it was different because the forgiveness wasn't just to forgive her, it was the level of forgiveness that I needed to do what I needed to do for self. So when I was able to forgive her, that forgiveness started within myself in a way that we don't normally understand it because from when we're just in the everyday life, full of life, we hear the word and it's thrown around loosely. But when you have the creator ushering in this, 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 this opportunity to forgive, it's not the same. It's not like just two people who get into an argument and say, hey, I forgive you. It's a different level. And so, from having that forgiveness and that compassion, because I even questioned for years, like, how did you accept this situation? After all you've been taught about the streets, all the codes, and everything that you're supposed to do from the outside looking in, you had no desire to hurt this woman. Right? When the police came and they said they tried to get me to, you know, hey, tell the story, we'll lock her up. She can go to jail for a long time for this. And I was like, nope. Before that, she already had two, two sons from a previous relationship and I had grown close to her children as well. And I was like, no, because I knew what I had done leading up to that gun going off.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And, and I had to face that. Not, not that I'm accepting that that was the way she should have dealt with it, but right. my accountability to all the actions that led up to her feeling that level of pain and hurt that she shot me. Um, I accepted that. And that that I was able to accept that through that forgiveness, I was able to accept a lot of things that it, you wouldn't normally, from just thinking. As a human, you're like, no, there's no way I could accept that. There's no way I would do this. There's no way, but I was able to do all the things, the unimaginable things that most humans find very challenging to do when it comes to hurt, suffering, pain, betrayal, all the stories. So that compassion was one of the most profound pieces to this journey that I was able to experience in that moment because after uh, all the things happened, believe it or not, she was the only person who accepted to actually help me take care of me, nurse me back to health. Yeah. So after being in the hospital for what it felt like years, um, I was released and came back home yeah, and she came. She took care of me. I stayed with her. My family thought mm-hmm. I was crazy. Everybody thought I was crazy. And my father was pissed because you know he wanted me to honor the street code. And he he's like, well, this is going to make you look weak to the street and all these different things. But I already knew from having the conversation with God, I couldn't go back.
0: Right. You were over. You were moved on from that.
1: Yeah. Well, in that moment. But then coming back into my body, being in, you know, being home, being in the environment, I didn't, it didn't just click right away. Okay.
0: How did so, you get your, how did you get to move out of town with your son? And how did you leave?
1: It took six years. So I healed the body over time. I, You know, my mother, you know, um, we were raised again, Hare Krishna. So, you know, a lot of the practices in terms of how you eat, you know, vegetarian, holistic mm-hmm. food. You pray over your food, you eat high vibrational food, herbs, a lot of things that help repair the body were already in our, in, 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 were already in the ingredients of the food that we ate. So, um, we, I had a special, my mom would cook special meals that actually would help with like, re, rebuild and repair nerves and the veins and the different things, the arteries, um, all the different things that the body needs to, to be stronger uh and and due to the the injury so um i stayed with my mom and i stayed with the ex the the woman who shot me um back and forth uh there were moments where i did have regret Mm -hmm. you know it didn't just you know just because god gave me the assignment it didn't just all just magically go away like oh you'll never be upset i still went through that's why I'm sharing this because I still went through the normal human things people do. I, I got upset. Yeah. I, I did have regrets. Um, I went into sadness. I went into depression. You know, there was moments where I wanted to retaliate. I wanted to just, I was mad at God. Like, like you told me this, but this, why am I still feeling like a human being? You know, like, I'm like, I thought you gave me some superpowers with this. You mm-hmm. know, like, where the hell is my cake? Because I need it right now. You know, there was days where I wanted to throw in a towel with pain. The body was trying to heal and going through what it right. was going through. So it was. It was the process. It was the journey. But I, I don't think I've ever done that much introspective work. <laughs> like every day was from the inside out. Is how I had to live from internally, inside out, inside out. Oh. Which when I left, took me. I just. I knew. I knew. uh of, a young lady, when I was doing the things that I was doing, who had come to Michigan to go to school, but she was from California. It just so happened, this is when Facebook just started. I didn't know nothing about the internet or computers. I, I didn't. I was a street guy, so this was a new world. And I was on Facebook, and she messaged me, like, "Hey, wow, haven't seen you in forever." And we instantly rekindled, and was like, "Hey, come to California?" That might be the sign. So I went to visit and I went to California. That's when I heard about yoga. Um, but I had to come back. I just went to visit. And I knew I was like, okay, I think that's 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 the next move.
0: Where did you take yoga in California?
1: Well, when I I, I my first yoga experience in the studio was uh, it was in Venice at the time it was called exhale and I okay. met I met Shiva Ray. Oh
0: yeah, she's she's interesting. Yeah, I met Yeah. I worked at a I was a spa manager for a while in Miami and I got to meet her there. She's an interesting person.
1: Yeah. So I, I met Shiva Ray, um took her class. And then I I think I met Mark well I I met a few of some of the the, the uh...
0: Mark is really interesting too.
1: Yeah. yeah. I met a lot of, He's an uh, old-timey yeah. teacher. <laughs> yeah, I met a, I met a lot of the pioneer teachers, you know, uh, Steve Ross, all, all, all back in the day, Saul David Ray. Um, Saul's
0: interesting too. Yeah, yeah I love yeah. when he plays harmonium. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, so you know, I, at that time, I didn't know nothing about them. I just knew that those were, the, and they were like the leading names that you saw right, on the west west right. side of LA. So, well, they
0: probably weren't like back then you know, they probably weren't, they didn't have the renown that they have now, you know, they were just teaching yeah. classes like everybody else, you know? Yeah. Um, so when do you get to move out to California?
1: So I, I left, I, I moved to California in, in 20, at the end of, just say the beginning of 2012. But before I went to California, I had some things that I needed to clear up legally. So I, I turned myself in that had been Kind of, I was on the run for years, staying out of the way, especially with the injury. I was like, there's no way I could go serve time like this. But once I got my health somewhat together, I decided you know, I have to do all these things right. i got to clean up some stuff. So turned myself in. I ended up doing two years uh, behind the wall. And that, for me, was actually from the shooting to doing those two years was actually when I had my real uh, I'll say, well, not say real. My second aha moment, because there, mm-hmm. the, the, there was the near death experience, the new conversation with God, and that awakening. But then sitting in that cell, that small cell, and not being able to leave, watching all four seasons go by out of a out of a small, maybe twelve inch long and maybe three inch wide window, uh, it changes you, you know. And but it really, there was a I'm bringing this up because there was a tree that I could see. I was up four stories. There was this tall tree, and it had a bird's nest in it. And I watched the tree, the leaves. I watched the bird. I watched the birds go through its hole, lay the eggs, hatch them, feed the young, and then they get big enough, and everybody leaves. <laughs> and it was just so interesting to watch the cycle of life from this perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I was able to just look at the freedom and and just how the birds interactive and the way they moved in the air and the wind and just, just really look again, having these really deep, profound moments. While I'm sitting in my cell and I just started, again, looking at all the stories, all the things that needed to be shifted and the languaging, the things that I said and how I said things. most people, when you hear about being incarcerated, yes, there's all these devastating and horrible stories, but I was, I found a way to make it like my sanctuary.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you you couldn't have any book, any spiritual text you couldn't have inside jail outside of the you know Bible, which is the, you know main they consider to be a mainstream or or uh, Muslim Quran. So
0: oh interesting. I had <laughs> I had another guest who was in jail and she was able to have any book that she deemed spiritual. So she was able to have all of her yoga books. there because and maybe it's just different for different jails but um she was like that's how it got her through was being able to like she read this enormous like 500 page translation of the sutras in jail
1: yeah well so i did. that's why i said jail not prison i did so prison might be different oh okay but then even now there's a lot of things have changed too though a lot of things have changed they got cell phones now so um I just know that's what they told my mom. So my you mom. You can have was,
0: cell phones now.
1: Well, in prison, I see that's the thing. So. Wow. I, yeah, but so my mom. If she wrote, couldn't have
0: a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. remember. I remember then she. That was 2013 or 2014, and she could not have a cell phone.
1: Yeah, I mean there was nobody I wanted to talk to anyway, but my mom would write, so she just transcribed all the different texts, chapters. She would write. And I would read them. And then that's how I was able able to just, uh, from the Bhagavad Gita, and that's how I was able to just stay into my practice. Um, I just turned my whole cell into like this little shrine, which it shifted me, my energy, and just that space to where everybody wanted, they were attracted to my room. So all the guys would come over and we would hang out and I would talk to them about my life and just, about spirituality and all these different things but because of it being something completely different from the environment that most of us all were in there come from it was intriguing so all you see all these men who are in here for these crimes and some of them were murderers this this that done all these things it was amazing to witness how when all these people that are charged for these things these actions that they have taken that hurt other people when they really got a chance to sit back and just reflect, you can see the compassion hurt. You're just like, man, and some people did not even know why they did what they did. And I would just bring them into my cell and just talk to them about the Bhagavad Gita and the changes that I was on, the things, the way I saw life, and I would talk to them about the bird, the tree, and just, it was like uh, like little kids in the story, you know, and the teacher, you know how they get around the teacher for story time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just shifted to the point where it brought up so much attention that the guards started coming over and I would talk to the guards and the guards wow. would even come over so then it made so much noise that the warden came up I was like I don't know what she's doing but we, he said in jail you can't have people in your cell like that so what I'm going to give you is on Wednesday the day there isn't any church you can have the church hall and you can do whatever you're doing in your cell do it
2: Wow.
1: he said you can do it I'll give you an hour you can have your meetings and your gatherings, you know, and I did. And it, that's my work started while I was incarcerated.
0: So you're teaching just, yoga in jail.
1: Yeah, yeah. but not yeah. the physical yet, not asana yet. I'm, I'm teaching, you know, because there's. Right, there's, but the
0: actually yeah. the real yeah. yoga, which isn't right. asana, many right. people confuse that.
1: Mm-hmm. There's yeah. four, you know, there's the hatha, raja, yan yoga, and then there's bhakti yoga. So yeah. I was studying the bhakti, which is, you know, the spiritual, the Vedic text from the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, fast forward that, got released. Now I'm out in the world. You know, the world is a little more wild, fast-paced. We're not in the controlled environment. So I was like, well, how do I continue this? But I realized that the streets, I had a reputation. Nobody knew this transformed because I was off line for a while, healing. Went away, came back. So when the people saw me, they just thought, oh, you know, usually most people don't change, right? You're in a certain environment, what it looks like, you still hang around. People expect you to still be that type of person, but I had mm. changed. So I knew I had to leave. I was like, there's only so much time that you can stick around. So that's when I ended up. Then that's when the story about the, the young lady I used to hang out with hit me up on Facebook. I went you to, LA. Back to California. Yeah
0: so where did you um study to become a certified yoga teacher
1: well my first my first uh teacher training was through uh, a dear friend uh teacher her name is kumudini uh, um, and she worked at core power yoga okay so at the time you know i had learned about hot yoga so they there were the at that time they were like the the only studio, or one of one of a few, or maybe two or three other studios that actually offered heated yoga classes. So they were known for their, for, you know, their hot classes,
2: right, right.
1: And the hot classes just were my jam. I needed oh, you. Them.
0: You liked them, okay?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, they were my jam. It was a different that heat, the intensity. It because what it did for me reminded me not of being shot, but it reminded me of the experience because the bullet, it, it it was so hot. But I remember how it caused me to sweat and detox at the same time, uh, and so that that hot yoga kind of took me through this this practice of remembering when I was laying there bleeding, dying in the heat, but how I was purging. And so when I would go into those classes, I could it was like taking myself through this journey of releasing and letting go. Also, you know, um, the heat for the injuries that I had it helped the body feel lubricated and move a certain way that I couldn't get when I was just in a standard regular yoga room. Okay. And so I did I did my first training in 2012 and then I went back. I did another training, got 500 hours. But when when I first came across yoga, Angelica, it wasn't about becoming a yoga teacher. You know, yeah, I know you hear we all. Everybody has a lot of these similar stories about. Well, when I first found it, it was about my health. It was about me. Um, But then, you know, yoga takes you on this journey if you allow it. Yeah. If you If you allow it, because some people can still go to yoga and just do yoga, right, and and shut everything down. But I was open to going on that inner that inner journey, and uh, so I kept going, and then eventually. I started a nonprofit because by that time I had moved my sons out. They were getting older and I, and I just, I saw what needed to happen in schools. I knew that this information needed to be, I was like, well, there's two ways we can go about changing the world. And I realized, well, first of all, it's not your job to change the world. If you just change you and be the best version of you, whoever you come in contact with, then that's how you create the ripple effect. So I was like, cool. I did that. Well, I worked on that. And so then I was like, the second part of that was, well, we have adults. Most adults are in their ways. Yes, they can change. But I was like, if we're talking about futuristic, give these tools and plant these seeds with the youth, with children. So I started a non started going to school, teaching yoga, meditation. But I, again, at that time, yoga was so taboo new that we we're like, whoa, that's what the hippies do. Like, we don't... So I, I found a really well, you gotta get crafty with how you deliver it. So instead of looking at it from coming in and wanting to just teach yoga from like, hey, let's get and sit with our palms and ohm and all that, I started really looking at just bringing in the philosophy of yoga, which is just the union, mind, body, spirit, breathing, the way we see each other, you know, um, how we interact as humans and the way we treat. I started there, and then from there, you know, that caught on, it was like, all right, we, we can work with that, you know, and then I was like, well, there's a way to do this where you do have to use physical movement. So instead of calling it yoga, I would call it functional fitness, like movement, mindful movement, what I did. I started studying mindfulness way back before it became buzzwords, and I just put mindfulness in it. And it was just being mindful of how you breathe, how you thought. And then I was able to eventually integrate actual yoga practices where I bring in teachers uh, into the LAUSD school district. And it caught oh, on That's
0: wonderful. I always whenever I teach at a school, I'm always like just shocked. they they usually throw me in at lunchtime, and then I'll see everyone's lunch, and i'm I'm just like,
1: this yeah. is what they're eating.
0: No wonder they have no life force energy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I you know i I just I understood from going to training and being in teacher training. That there was a certain type of people that were coming to yoga and taking yoga trains and, and, and also teaching it. But I also understood because there was a certain type of people that those certain types of people didn't understand the upbringing of the other types of people that would never touch yoga. So mm-hmm. I was I I used my voice and my experiences to bring those worlds together and break the stereotypes and, and, and create a space for people to ask questions for me and vice versa. So people can get an introduction to both worlds and understand why yeah. this looks like this and why this looks like that
0: yeah representation matters and i think it's it's really important if you're listening to this and you're thinking well there's no one like me in class whatever your label of yourself is yeah. then become that because become the person in class because you'll attract more people who are like you who are also feeling the same way we all have yeah. something to offer and the gift of yoga isn't exclusive to one type of person. It's it wasn't created that way, and it wasn't meant yeah. that way. And none of the yogic texts say that. They all they all are very clear about every religion is allowed, every type of person is allowed. Labels only serve to divide us. Like they're very clear about that. So we're all we're all a part of yoga. Yoga is union. It is yoke. It is us going together. So what are you doing now? If people want to reach out to you, your uh, Instagram handle is at Arjuna underscore O'Neill. But uh, what are some of the things that you're offering that people can become a part of if they would like to?
1: Yeah, well, right now, you know, I, again, I use these practices, the philosophy in ways that relate to the everyday human, you know, people that are working nine to five, relationships, parents, um I'm currently working with uh, because of the over the pandemic, uh, the suicide, homicide, depression rate for BIPOC community. Skyrocketed. Skyrocketed. So Yeah, uh, my grandpa
0: r- committed suicide mm-hmm. during big during the lockdowns in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he sorry. was he just couldn't be he couldn't be locked up like that. It was really he was older, he was eighty eight mm-hmm. years old and he felt isolated and alone. So I definitely know from an intimate level that yeah. um, suicide rates are really high right now. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I'm I'm offering what I do now uh, for, for BIPOC communities. Uh, I, I am a leadership coach for men, but I also have a program now where it's affordable, where I can do affordable, but high level coaching for BIPOC communities that wouldn't receive the level and caliber of coaching you know, that most people can pay for that have the money to pay $20, $30 mm-hmm. for a coach. Um, so I have that program. I also have just a men's coach in general, uh, working with all the different modalities, different things I've learned as far as parenting, relationships, how I, how I was able to connect with my body, and not just my body, but my heart. You know, my mm-hmm. message is really, I use, you know, uh, you'll see the brand, it says Mind Elevation, but really it's about getting into the heart what I learned from being shot was that the heart was what kept me is what brought me back. The mind abandoned, it ran, you know, it was fearful. Hey, you're dying. I'm out of here. But the heart was beating so hard from the blood that it reminded me, Oh, wait, the heart can still serve and show up. Focus on the heart because the heart has never judged shame or blamed me for any of the choices I've made. And, you know, a lot of us, out here in, our, in this world, we're actually trying to fulfill the desires of our hearts, but we get shamed and all the different things. And we right. protect the hearts because it's been broken. All the different things, the heartache. So, you know, my services really help reconnect men to their heart, their sensitive side, their sensitivity, the vulnerable side, their tender side, things that, you know, if you ever want to become a, a beautiful, loving, you know, husband or a father, you know, um, these are the things that I talk about that are required in order for you to really be able to tap in, especially if you're, you know, if you have daughters and things like that. Um, I also do what I have uh, is gender neutral, where I do these breakthrough sessions, where I just hold space because I, be- I also believe that everybody deserves to be heard.
2: Yeah. You
1: know, that's one thing my experience taught me that you don't know, you know, and we hear this a lot, but we don't know what people are really going through. I know we say it so loosely, but. We really don't, and it's so easy for us as a society, we look at the actions after the fact. We don't look at, well, what led up why this person did what they did. And so from being, like you said, being someone who watched my actions create a scenario to where I ended up shot, I get it. Mm -hmm. I understand that. So I understand how people end up in some of these tragic moments, but we don't look at what's happening underneath. I wanted to use my story and my awareness to create space for people to also be able to just express what they're carrying so that way they can see that there's other options and that people care that somebody's listening no matter what who you are what you look like and however you identify yourself you're still a human yeah. being right yeah. So,
0: well uh, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today a very compelling story I absolutely appreciate you I hope that The people who need to hear this are given the message. And I know that you go live on Instagram a lot. I see you live there often. So definitely check out Arjuna on Instagram. I will put in the description below all of his contact information so that you can connect and um, start to experience His um, unique style of yoga. Thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. And if you're listening out there or you're seeing this on YouTube, please share this podcast with anyone you think can be uplifted or use the message and be sure to subscribe. And I will see you in the next podcast. All
2: right.